I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God while I have my being. May these words of mine please him. I speak to you this morning in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Today, as we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, it is so good to see so many of you wearing red. It's very rare that we can liturgically coordinate in such a fashion, uh, not to mention with shiny red high heels or hot pink in the vestments, so very happy today. (laughs) Of course, we wear red today to commemorate the flames that appeared above the heads of the disciples. And here's hoping that any fire spreading today is only that of the Holy Spirit. Now, Pentecost, by any other name, is Whit Sunday, a great name in my opinion, named in Old English for the traditional white robes of candidates for holy baptism. And today, of course, we celebrate the original baptism by fire. The Spirit descending on the disciples and giving them the ability to speak to the thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem in their own language. Earlier this week, I had an interesting encounter with language. I posted on Facebook a picture of my ethics class material from ASU's School of Nonprofit Management, the Lodestar Center. My cousin replied, I read that as Lobster Center, and I got way too excited. (laughs) The ethics of priest and shellfish are complicated, I replied. See Leviticus. (laughs) I was referring to chapter 11 of Leviticus, verses 9 through 12, in which God commands the Hebrews to consider anything in the water without scales or fins detestable, which describes shellfish, an unfortunately delicious, delicious lobster. It's often used as an example in how in the Bible we come up against some rather odd things. Odd things, like the story of Elisha in 2 Kings, where children make fun of him because he's balding, and two bears come out of the woods to eat the children. Or in the stories of battles and political machinations that could easily been in an episode of Game of Thrones. Or the thousands of people gathered outside a Roman palace shouting, crucify him, crucify him. As we know, language is a slippery thing. One wrong word, one mistaken turn of phrase, and we can find ourselves in wildly unexpected situations. Turn right here might get you going to the right, or finding yourself lost because you should have made a left back there. Or some monk wrote down a smudged version of Halo when describing Moses, and therefore for generations artists depicted him with horns. But I have to wonder, if more mistakes that result in joy or confusion or pain can result from the language we use to describe God and God's works in the world. The book of the Acts of the Apostles describes the early church discovering how followers of Christ are meant to be the body of Christ in the world 
when Christ's body is no longer with them. Today's account from Acts describes the birth of the church, Jesus' promise that he will not leave his followers alone fulfilled. In the Gospel of John, Jesus promises that God will give them a paraclete, a Greek term for a legal helper, an advocate, a person who aids in judgment or decisions to the point that they're considered witnesses because of how close they are to the situation. In other words, God will send forth another person of God given to guide and comfort the people who seek God. So in the book of Acts, God sends in the lawyer. Thousands of the Jewish faithful are gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of weeks, a festival that commemorates the harvest of wheat and also remembers the anniversary of God giving the Torah to the people at Mount Sinai. It is a day that has been preceded by preparation, anticipation, and desire. It is a celebration of God fulfilling our needs in body, mind, and spirit. And in the midst of this celebration, a great and rushing wind descends on the apostles, marking them with tongues of flame as they preach in a dozen languages not their own, of the good news of God in Christ. And the people in Jerusalem gather in wonder and awe and skepticism. Some ask, what great thing is happening here? And others reply, they're just drunk at 9 a.m. But sweet St. Peter stands up to say that even more prophecy is being fulfilled in their hearing The prophecy of God declaring, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And the Greek for this type of pouring is so abundant, so rich, that the vessel of which it is being poured from dissolves into the thing descending on the people. The container dissolves into the pouring. So in this moment, we have an understanding of God Almighty the creator who promises restoration, being present and dissolving, to be understood as the spirit spoken through the followers of Jesus, that divine word made flesh. The festival of weeks commemorates the first Pentecost, the harvest combined with the gift of the divine word. And in the second Pentecost, The Holy Spirit makes it possible for the divine word of God that has lived, died, been resurrected, and ascended to be for all people the greatest harvest, the perfect effort, the holiest yield ever known. Because it is all about the word of God and the harvest. Jesus tells Philip, If my words, believe me that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father, aren't enough, then look at the works, see what I can do, and believe that because the works that I do, my followers will be able to do, even when I am gone. Jesus' promise that the harvest, the yield, will be delivered by the actions of the advocate, the spirit of truth, and peace through his disciples. 
In the Acts reading, the Spirit gives the disciples the ability to speak another language, something very foreign from their own. Yet from every nation under heaven, the people were bewildered and gathered because each one heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Which to me says that under the confusion, there was a current of relief. There was a sense of home, of truth or of peace underneath the disturbance in a foreign land. And this is captivating because what we see here on the day of the harvest and the word is another connection being established between being somewhere foreign and discovering a bit of home. There is something that the Holy Spirit is doing between being bewildered and discovering the truth, between being disturbed and finding peace. And from this moment, The church is born. The baptism of the Spirit allowed the good news of God and Christ to spread like wildfire. The harvest becomes exponentially multiplied by the word. Somewhere between alien and citizen, somewhere between confusion and truth, and in that place between disturbance and peace, is where we still reside as the church and as Christians. How often are you and I challenged by the word and works of God? Not the lighthearted things about shellfish or arguing about rich people and the eye of needles. Not those things that don't really matter. But what about the things that do? When Jesus says, if you love me, Feed my sheep. Or I will separate the nations like the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the chaff. Or I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the disciples didn't know a language other than the Hebrew dialect that they grew up with in Galilee. But everything they believed on faith, whether it was Jesus' works or words, wherever they were between confusion and truth or disturbance and peace, it doesn't hinder the Holy Spirit working through them to share the good news. Whatever their first inclination was, wherever their primary orientation stood, the Holy Spirit allows their second nature to be that of Jesus Christ. It's the same for us. Wherever we start on any given day, the promise that God makes to us as people seeking to know God, people trying to be in relationship with God, and even loving God, the promise God makes to us is that abiding peace, essential truth, And loving our neighbors as ourselves will become our second nature. The effort of the harvest will become a habit and then intrinsic. And we will find the words rolling off of our tongues and speaking with our actions without hemming or hawing about why we're doing it. There's so much that we can take from scripture and church history 
to disturb one another. So much that causes everything from mild angst to wounds deep enough that we never want to darken the door of a church again. Perhaps you remember the comment that Stephen Colbert delivered in his previous iteration as a late-night talk show host, discussing when people wanted to take rights away from the poor and the impoverished and describing it as Christian values. He said, If this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, either we have to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as we are, or we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition, and then admit that we just don't want to do it. In this language, this message could be the Holy Spirit making us confused and uncomfortable and disturbed to push us towards greater things. This type of movement of the Spirit makes us groan to hear, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But the Holy Spirit that gives the good news of God's great love for us is also working for good right now. Perhaps you heard this week that Pope Francis has said that he's considering a commission to study permitting women to become deacons in the Roman Catholic Church. And when asked for a response about how the Episcopal Church has discerned who God calls to serve, presiding bishop Michael Curry said this, When we finally got and get to the point of saying who has God called to be bishop, priest, or deacon, and we're going to follow that leading, what we found was, guess what? A priest is a priest. A bishop is a bishop. A deacon is a deacon. They might be black, white, red, yellow, or brown. They may be Republican or Democrat. They may be a man or a woman. They may be gay or straight or bisexual or transgendered. They may be a whole host of things. But they're a priest. They're a bishop. They're a deacon. He continued, You know our Catholic brothers and sisters. You have to make your decision as God leads you. This is how we've made ours, and we've been blessed. We have a better Episcopal church because we really are trying to welcome all. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit giving peace and truth and love. And this is the type of work that makes us rejoice to say, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. There are so many ways that we use God's word to twist and corrupt the message of unconditional love that is our deepest peace and ultimate truth. I'll never know why we are drawn away from home or truth or peace and towards alienation, confusion, or pain. But we all know that we are intrigued by them and at times pursue them. Whatever our first nature is, Pentecost gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to discover our second nature, the nature of God, of God's peace, of God's truth, and God's love. The same flame that allowed the disciples to preach is kindled within our hearts to also preach the good news of Jesus Christ. 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit allows you and I to join in the harvest of God's restoration and reconciliation of all things. This taking on of Christ's mantle, this bearing his light into the world, and adopting his nature as our own, is not without the possibility that something unwelcome or something great might happen. Such is the relationship between the people of God and the Holy Spirit, or between priests and lobsters. But since a group of lobsters is called a risk, I think the church pursuing the promises of God and Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is worth it, don't you? Glory be to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.